the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Welcome back to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program as we begin the uh, second half of our uh, two-hour roundtable that we do uh, conduct each Wednesday. Uh, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome Always back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Thank you, Tom, and all staff. And joining uh, joining us this week, and always a, a pleasure, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Hi, Bobby. Hi. Well, let's see. Where did we leave off? Oh, we were about to uh, move on to um, the, the National Convention. Yeah, Biden. Yeah, Biden said throughout yeah. the Democratic primary that he was the best candidate to win over moderate Republicans. On Monday at the Democratic National Convention, former Ohio Governor John Kasich and a trio of other former top Republicans looked to make that case to millions. Kasich, in pre-taped remarks delivered at what appeared to be a literal crossroads, told voters why he, a former Republican executive and 2016 presidential candidate, was rejecting Trump and backing Biden. And we saw a little bit more of that in last night's uh, uh, DNC uh, uh, presentation, uh, their national convention. Do people like John Kasich, Colin Powell, and Cindy McCain influence Republicans to withdraw support from the president's reelection bid? I don't well, I don't know. I don't know whether that. First on that one. I don't, I don't know whether they influence people uh, in, in that capacity, but I do know that these are people of great reputations, not only uh, among Republicans, but Democrats, independents, world leaders with great accomplishments. They mean a lot to the country's uh, persona. And yeah. people listen when they yeah. talk. They listen. I think so. And I've heard comment made that there is a pocket of Republicans that have no place to go because they are so concerned about the direction we're going 
and they can't join the the traditional Republican support for a so-called Republican president. I doubt that he is a Republican, but he's wearing the T-shirt. So <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah. Yeah, I think they serve a good purpose. Yeah, they serve a good purpose for the people who have no place else to go. And I think these kind of things politically make some sense for a party because in a, you're not going to get a lot of people to switch parties, but every vote you get counts double because a gain for you is a loss for the other side. So politically, reaching out to the other party makes does make some sense, even though the numbers aren't large. As I say, you can make an argument that every vote you get, in a sense, counts double. Yeah. It gives new birth to the nation. Uh, this is, I think this was the intent of the people who framed this nation, for people to act in the best capacity for the country and the Constitution. And I believe uh, this process kind of gives uh, a whole new sense of, of uh, what's right with the United States. Well, you know, I, I was inspired to pull out an old book I read when I was in college called The Mainsprings of American Politics, I think it was. Berger wrote it. And uh, mm -hmm. we focused on uh, realignment, party realignment, and the historical uh, yeah. cycling in and out. And uh, this was a question that came up at one of our Democratic clubs, I think, last year, Paul, um, regarding realignment. And it's like, where are we in that regard? And maybe I, this I is think a we're, we're seeing something along those I think you're exactly right, Bobby. I think we're seeing a realignment of some kind. It's not crystal clear. But I think we are seeing major groups shifting from where they used to be. Uh, yeah. And that, to some degree, explains the election of Trump, in terms of working-class whites especially, who used to be solid FDR-style Democrats for the longest time until you got to the Reagan era, and they began yeah. to shift. And that, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think we're, we're like in that bubbling up phase. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we're in the midst of a, a significant realignment, and... And like like most of them, it doesn't happen in one election. It's going to take a few few years to, sh to, to, to shuffle out. But I think yeah. we're going to see a different different nature of both parties when all is said and done. Well, yeah. in in a related note, a uh, former senior Trump administration official who is endorsing Joe Biden's presidential campaign said Tuesday that if President Donald Trump wins a second term, he will align with dictators around the world. There are people serving very close to the president that have told me verbatim that we should expect, quote, shock and awe. If the president wins a second term, you will see a flurry of executive orders. You will see the president pull out of foreign alliances. You will see the president align with dictators around the world, said Miles Taylor, who served as chief of staff to Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen. He said this in an interview with uh, CNN's Jake Tapper on the lead. And uh, again, quoting, and if right now we're less safe because we have fewer friends and stronger enemies than before, you, you can expect to see that on steroids in another four years of the Trump administration, Taylor added. Is Taylor, as the White House claims, a disgruntled employee? Probably. Sounds like. Uh, there's no way that the president, uh, the system of government is so stable that the president can't go in and move it around like that. He's it's already very done stable it. System. No, it hasn't happened yet. I oh, God. Was, no, I, I don't yeah, believe it's possible. No, we're in such bad possible. shape. We're in such bad shape internationally right now that we are a laughing stock. 
we have to cultivate ourselves, and the people on the opposite side of Trump uh, may be part of the problem. You know, we have to regroup, guys. Deciding to sign up with somebody else besides the United States, we're no longer well. That's that's not good. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying about that. I want to the appearance of that. I want to jump in here and and. rescue henry a little bit um because i don't need to be rescued no 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 i i I just i just (laughs) want to defend you a little bit because this is the week of jumping up and down on president trump the democrats are having their national convention every speech is is you know going to uh uh, talk badly about the president. I mean, this this is the week for that. It's going to be interesting. Um, I couldn't help thinking while watching the uh, the convention um, to see how the Republicans will conduct theirs. Yeah. Um, this viral convention is really be proving to be very interesting from my perspective. I I, I didn't know what to expect, but it's it's in some ways I I'm not, I'm I like it. Once, in some ways, more interesting than a traditional convention to watch on television. You I, know, it's, it's, it's fun. To, it's, it's fun to be there if you're at a convention and it's a big party. Well, but and I miss those. TV, I miss those camera angles that sweep the crowd and the demonstrations yeah. of each uh, state when they cast their ballots, and also watching the convention floor for the little conversations that are <laughs> that are breaking up, yeah. breaking out in corners <laughs> of the of the uh, hall. But I, I have to say, I really enjoyed the um, the nominating roll call. So or did I. I was, I was waiting to see what state would what way each state would pick to highlight their their state's uh, uh, favorite uh, image, whether it was the cars in Michigan or the uh, what was the who had the was it the scallops who had the. Uh, Calamari, Rhode Island. Yeah. Calamari, that's right, that's right, Calamari. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of stuff was really interesting. Well, you know, it's amazing. But when I, I don't know whether you, Go ahead, Henry. Go ahead. I don't know whether you paid any attention to this. The, the Democrats now were doing exactly the same thing as the Republicans. They were mining the electoral vote. How much... To what? Do you have, how many states did you have to, to mine 270 votes to get you over to the top, to be the winner? Now, I think that that may vote that, they, um, that they, uh, the college is, is not so much in danger because they are being able to use it the same as the Republicans used it. So we it might be saved another we- 10 a generation. We always have used the Electoral College. Uh, the Democrats yeah, never... Yeah, we always were aware of how many numbers we needed in order to win. I think the issue of the Electoral College is something to be put to the side because it is what it is, as Donald Trump said, about people dying. And just about um, everybody said last night. <laughs> yes, it is what it is. Well, but, we'll see. We'll see how American people respond to that. Well, I want to see what good uh, showmen the Republicans are, because it's obvious to me, you know, I grew up in showbiz, that when you put on a production that gets people emotionally involved and feeling included and committed to your cause and fired up so that you can get your candidate over the finish line with a win, that's a successful convention. 
Well, I I couldn't help thinking while I was watching it that, uh, you know, conventions have been show business since the introduction of television cameras. Yeah. And they've been they've been becoming more and more scripted every year. And and I couldn't help thinking when I was watching the last two nights uh, the DNC's convention that that it was extremely scripted and i couldn't help wondering as much as i enjoyed the roll call what if uh biden hadn't got it on a first ballot <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> how would you do that i don't how know. many times <laughs> would we want to watch that little that little trip up and down route 66 um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there was, a time I, during, there was a time during the primary process when I was actually sort of hoping, hoping for a contested convention. But that was before COVID hit and everything fell apart. And, you know, a contested convention on, uh, on TV would be a lot harder. Well, and yeah, that's well, just I mean, it. They've, they've actually tried to negotiate their way into one ballot nominees. You know, nominees that they well, get I it mean, on the first the ballot. We, conventions used to be the real decision-making part of the party. You, you know, you didn't know who the nominee was going to be until the convention. But for the last half century, at least, we've almost always known well ahead of the convention who the nominee was going to be, and so there was really a surprise there of any consequence. Yeah, yeah. Was that nineteen sixty-eight? Was the last one where you were wondering who was going to come out of there? Well, even 68 was pretty clear it was going to be Nixon on one hand and, and Humphrey on the other, although there's turmoil in the streets, obviously. the last I think the last one that went to more than one ballot, I think, was 52, I believe, for the Republicans, I think. Uh, when yeah. Eisenhower got it, I think that's correct. But, but, even, but, uh, but all through the 60s, I, I remember uh, pundits talking about the, uh, um, the way conventions played out on TV and that... Uh, floor fights weren't good tv no. oh that's right yeah yeah no. yeah and uh, even though people like to watch wrestling they don't like to watch political fights <laughs> there's there's a um again i find myself quoting uh, one of my favorite tv shows the west wing and they were talking about the uh, uh television coverage of the primary and they were on the the television network heads were telling the communications director at the White House that they were only going to cover an hour a night. And, um, and then, uh, or that's what the, uh, the, the White House was hoping for. The networks were saying, we'll have the acceptance speech and the balloons. <laughs> <laughs> the balloons are good TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I thought the balloons and the the little bit of confetti that fell on the Biden's last night was sort of cute. I did too. I, it wasn't yeah. quite the substitute you'd want it to be, but uh, and there were a couple of other things about the uh, about the production of this, and hopefully we'll we'll get a chance in the next segment to talk a little bit more about uh, your impressions of the. Um, Democratic National Committee's uh, national convention and, and streaming it and bringing it on television and so on. Um, but we have to take a short break. We will uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Then we will return with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodin flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. We continue armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you. Well, at an event aimed at highlighting the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote, President Donald Trump disparaged the country's most admired woman, Michelle Obama, as over her head after she delivered a scathing direct-to-camera speech criticizing him at the Democratic National Convention Monday. During the Tuesday event, Trump commemorated the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, the women's right to vote, by pardoning women's rights activist Susan B. Anthony for her 1876 conviction for trying to vote. Um, do you think the president scored any points with women voters? <laughs> At least he didn't call Susan B. Anthony nasty. <laughs> he might have if she was still living. The thing that Probably. occurred to me was, I believe in trying to vote. She actually was violating state law. Am I wrong? No, it was uh, it was considered a felony. I think federal felony. I, well, I'm yeah, I'm I mean, not. To be honest with you, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So I better. I think Bobby's stop. I suspect Bobby's right because I think most most election laws were were state anyhow, especially in those days, even more so. Yes, they they currently are now. But yeah, I that's right. That's right. Good ironic that he offered to pardon somebody who supposedly violated state law, which is beyond his power. You know? <laughs> that's but, also true. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I don't think yeah. I don't think she would actually accept it anyway, because she'd have Probably. to admit she was guilty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you accept but, the pardon, but, you you're know, admitting you're guilty. There's something <clears throat> that that's good about the idea. Women were unjustly uh, uh, bypassed in the electoral process, and uh, it was rightful that we had the gender biases, and it shouldn't have existed in the first place, but it did. That was then, and this is now. And as we go back uh, and look at that, some of the rights, as with African Americans and slavery and all of that, can be rectified just by the stroke of a pen. Well, I think if he's going to be pardoning women, he needs to go back to all of the women that were held at Aquaplan that were force-fed and abused yeah, yeah, and treated. Yeah. You know, but I'm talking to, about this woman here who rose to prominence. I know. Harsh conditions. Yeah, yeah why those women yeah. were accused of, of violating law. They were accused yeah. of crimes, and they were arrested for it. Well, I'm I'm not trying to take care of all. We're looking at one issue here, and we're covering and, all. And some of some of those might have been under federal law because they were in front of the White House when they were. At least some were arrested and protesting in front of the White House, chained themselves to the fence, that kind of thing. So yeah, they were they were arrested for impede, impeding traffic. They were arrested right, for impeding right. traffic. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I, that also refers to all of those women, too. But in this particular case, Susan B. Anthony should be pardoned. I don't think she needs to be pardoned. <laughs> um, I don't think she was all that concerned about having... That will say that. I, I, I don't think she was all that concerned about having a conviction on her record. Um, 
embattled Postmaster General Louis DeJoy reversed course Tuesday, saying that all changes being made to the Postal Service would be suspended until after the November 3rd election, just as 20 Democratic states announced plans to file federal lawsuits. DeJoy said that some of the deferred decisions mean that retail hours at post offices will not change, mail processing equipment and blue collection boxes will remain in place, and uh, no mail processing facilities will be closed. At least 20 Democratic attorneys general across the country are launching a multi-pronged legal effort to push back on the recent changes that uh, disrupted mail delivery across the country and triggered accusations that Trump and his appointees are trying to undermine mail-in voting. Do you think the president and his campaign are actively trying to undermine voter participation? I hope not. I yes. hope, uh, but, I but you know, motive, it, could, yeah. it could look that ugly. And this is where the president is vulnerable. It could yeah, look I think, that ugly. And it could be spin, spun by Democrats to make it look that. And by black Americans, those, uh, and people of color, and women. So you want to... Uh, this is a good thing for the president. But but this seems all to marginal, me... <laughs> all the marginalized people. I want to know one thing. Why take... Uh, this guy is supposed to be a logistics expert. He's supposed to be somebody that knows how to get things moving and moving quickly. And he takes out sorting machines. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. the, the thing the the thing that I find the most interesting about this, and something to watch very closely um, in this election and and probably in elections to come, is this is conventional wisdom strategizing. Thank you. Thank the you. the idea that um, that by keeping the the number of voters down that it somehow hurts Democrats and helps Republicans. But because of COVID-19, I think a lot more Republicans are participating in the mail-in process. Um, so so the old idea that more voters means more Democratic votes, um, it doesn't really apply to... Um, early voting or absentee voting participation. Yeah. I, I think we're going to see a lot more Republicans in it. I think we're going to see more people voting, but I don't think more people voting is going to mean necessarily that it skews Democrat. Now, it may for political reasons, but not because yeah. of the process. I was going to say, there was once a poli-sci type study about what, what would happen if we had 100% turnout, speculating right. about what it would... And the bottom line was that if we could actually do that, which is a, obviously a stretch, that when push comes to shove, it wouldn't change much, that the, the percentage of people who were Democrat or Republican would be about the same. It yeah. would take a few points if you had 100% turnout as if, as if you have a 60% turnout as we have now. It would still right. come down to 50 plus one. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it's a statistical sampling model. I was going to call out the same, the same study. I think it was done a few years ago. I remember right. reading it in, I don't know, Economics or something. One of the European magazines. Well, yeah. my, um, here's here's one. I don't know if you caught this, but Mike Lindell, aka the My Pillow Guy, 
has long been one of Donald Trump's staunchest allies. He's called Trump the greatest president ever and suggested that Trump was chosen by God for the role. And because Trump likes people who like him, the president has been similarly complimentary of Lindell. Boy, do you sell those pillows, Trump told Lindell at an event at the White House in March. <laughs> Lindell's pillow, which is uh, touted for its comfort, has made him a multimillionaire. Lindell has also claimed that Trump has urged him to run for office. But Trump has done more than just praise Lindell. He allowed Lindell to take part in a July White House meeting about the potential therapeutic properties of something called oleandrin, an extract from the oleander plant. Tuesday, when Lindell was interviewed by CNN's Anderson Cooper, it was, by an objective measure, an absolute and total disaster for Lindell and Oleandrin. Anderson, uh, Anderson Cooper compared him to a snake oil salesman. Do you think Mike Lindell, the pillow guy, is the best person to present treatment options for a global pandemic? <laughs> Hardly. Only Hardly. if snake oil would work. Now, if That's snake right, yeah. oil would work, then we would be good. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear yeah. W.C. Fields in the background going, it cures hoarseness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, oleanders are poisonous. Yeah, uh, apparently oh. um, not if you have the right pillow. <laughs> I also read something about the measles vaccine, that there's some sort of a theory out there in the medical community that uh, the reason that kids are not seemingly not as, as badly affected as adults is because of the measles vaccine. And um, so then they were saying, well, maybe everybody should go get the measles shot. You know, I don't know. Boy, this is the first time ever, I think, uh, Paul, that I've actually checked all the boxes on your list. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we do have uh, a few more minutes before the next break and before we go to X-Files. And I thought we could maybe uh, maybe spend that talking uh, some more about the convention that's going on. Of course, we've had two nights already and um, two more to go tonight and tomorrow night. And uh, I, I, th I thought maybe we'd uh, talk about some of the things that worked and some of the things that didn't. And, uh, and and maybe speculate a little bit about how the Republicans' virtual convention will play. Um, you, go, I'll go see. You know go what? Ahead, I, I find myself actually paying more attention to the speeches than I you know. When, when you've got the crowd there and people are yelling and interrupting at every third word, you, you really don't pay attention much to the substance of the speeches. I mean, it's fun to watch and it's exciting when you're there. But I find here when, when they're speaking, it's... It's not the same energy, but I, I pay more attention to what they're actually saying, and I think it has in some ways more impact. Uh, some of the emotional yeah. stuff they had for Biden last night was, had much more impact than I presented the way it was than if it had been in front of a, a, a cheering, yelling audience. I, I was a little... Uh, go ahead, Bobby. I was just going to say it's more educational when you can listen to it and actually absorb yeah, what's being yeah. said. 
and and I was I was struck the same way. And Henry, I don't I don't know how much you've watched or or how it's. Uh, I watched. I tried to watch as much as I could. Um, uh, there, there was. Go ahead, and then I'll respond. Yeah, I, I, I just I just wanted to insert there that I have found it um, a, a a good way to hear the speeches and and to hear what people have to say, and I'm a little disappointed that um, uh, the um, polls for Monday night's uh, viewership uh, show it down 25 percent from 2016. I'm a little, oh, yeah. a little disappointed yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I wonder, um, I wonder how they measured it because uh, in um, public, uh, in PBS was covering it, and MSNBC was covering it. And there may be others, others. Of course, C-SPAN. Well, you know what I did? Cut in about ten o'clock. I'll, I'll tell you what a geek I am. I I was watching it on CNN. But I had yeah. my I had my uh, last channel set to C-SPAN, so that every time the talking heads popped up on CNN, I could switch it over to C-SPAN <laughs> and <laughs> bypass them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I started off on PBS, and then I became a little disgusted with the panel discussion, and went over to MSNBC, and then I did a lot of chores around the house while it was running. So. Yeah, that's well, that my rea- I, I, my my reaction. I start with PBS and then pop around just to see what the others were doing occasionally. Interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, Fox News carried it too. Yeah, if I may say, I, you know, I I watched uh, the the uh, convention for probably different reasons than most of you did. Um, first of all, I wanted to try to discern myself with whether uh, Biden had uh, a mental disease. So um, I know that personal attacks and criticism steals confidence and stability from a well-developed uh, body and mind. I have uh, um, gotten through the first uh, two days of looking looking for clues that Biden was suffering from dementia. But unable, uh, I could not detect any signs of this criticism. Uh, So, and then there there were other reasons I I watched it. I believe that the mood of the country now demonstrates that people of color will get support from white citizens to support their election to public office. And therefore, I believe that John James is likely to be a positive outcome of the Michigan Senate race. It said these are circumstances that, and you know, the relationship between Biden and McCain, strong, bipartisan, prevailing despite of political pressure, mm-hmm. uh, got several times the award as bipart- best two bi- representatives of bipartisanship. Now, that's worthwhile, that's significant. And then I did always, I did not like Kamala Harris. She was smug, self-assured, toxic, uh, took no prisoners, uh, and I um, and, and 
uh, I was, you know, she was not one of my favorites, but when she was selected as the presidential running mate, I saw a new Kamala Harris. Um, and she was a true gender equal to Biden. She walked and paced with the same dimensional stride as Biden does. You take a look mm -hmm. at her. She is. She looks at him. She laughs at him. She embraces him, and she gets away from this dirty old view that we looked at politics as men and women in bed with each other, which was disgusting. One, uh, one so of the problems. I saw something different. And I'm sure Bobby's going to want to weigh in on this because one of the things that that women have a problem with in politics is um, that they're viewed two ways if they're soft-spoken and and well-intentioned and considered they're mousy if they come on strong and aggressive they're bitchy yep and there doesn't I seem to be any and but but there's still that that part of it and that's one of the reasons why i personally was kind of rooting for susan rice <laughs> for for vp because because i thought kamala harris would bring that um would bring out that that kind of uh you know in the process of being the the vice presidential attack dog that that she would uh run afoul of of that kind of impression that voters still have on both sides of the aisle it's changing but but it's still there but yeah, i, I like the persona that she that she exhibited you don't you don't want somebody as a woman or black woman or woman of color being or asian person. woman she seems to yeah, check all the boxes yeah you, you don't want that you want yeah. strong people out there you know, um, I was chuckling when um, Henry was describing her as being arrogant and self-assured and all that other stuff. Yes. Because, of course, Henry supports a president that is one of the most <laughs> arrogant, pompous, <laughs> ignorant. Well, I don't know whether that's the whole thing, but I look at both sides, and, and I, I don't follow, I don't follow the gravity. As Tom pointed out, it's typical for women to be judged as being less desirable because they're strong, opinionated, they're willing to tell you what they think, and they stand up for themselves. Well, I I did, that's what I just said. But men are yeah. considered aggressive, and women are considered yeah. bitchy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I, I also was cheering for Susan Rice because I really thought, with her international experience and everything else, that she'd be a really good match, too. However, I was I very impressed with her testimony, too. Yes, on, yeah. on Capitol Hill. Yeah. I, I yeah. see the wisdom, um, the political and administrative wisdom of choosing Kamala. And, and remember, Agreed. Tom, I said I looked at this for a reason, so that I could learn something. And this was an opportunity and see, for Henry, me to learn. Henry, well, you I just be, underscored. I will be watching the Republican convention. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be watching the Republicans, too, next week, Henry. Don't worry about that. I'll, yeah, <laughs> just, I, just to see what they're up to. But, yeah, but see, yeah I like to hear the other okay. side of the story. But, I, but I, learned, I learned something that was positive. Yeah. Because well, it was negative. Positive. I said, Mrs. Harris was somewhat arrogant, and so on and so forth. And well, she'll be on critical, tonight, so then you can um, but, but don't dwell on it. You can still do that. But I said I learned something from this process. Well, now, you, guys, you guys are... Probably, 
criticize me for watching it. But no, you guys I are did. no, no, Henry. You and uh, and and Paul and um, Bobby are underscoring one of the one of the core values of this program, and that is how can you possibly believe what you believe if you haven't explored the possibilities. And and I, and I think it's kudos to all of you for watching the other side. You know, darn it, you might learn something. <laughs> now you I could might learn something, and you might change your mind about it. Yeah, you might yeah. change your mind. Exactly. And now, I changed my mind about Kamala Harris. That well, was one of my favorite. One, As one I my was watching, is, is tell me something I don't know. You know that was uh, yeah. Who, who, uh, that, that's yeah. a good line for all kinds of situations. What, what I, I was the ten of Oreo cookies on my desk when I was working, and I tell people they can have two if they tell me something I don't already know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the um, I, I I couldn't help as I as I was watching the first two nights, and we'll see how the other two nights play out. But it was it seemed that the mission of the presentation was to show that. Um, that that Joe Biden cares more about other people than he does himself. That was that was a big part of the message from everyone who spoke, and that there were a lot of people um, that were coming together to support him. Bernie Sanders, people from other side the other side of the aisle, former rivals, etc., and that he he had the ability to build a coalition. The whole time I was watching that, I was trying to imagine what four days of Republican streaming convention is going to look like. And and I just have a feeling it's going to be a four-day Donald Trump <laughs> self-aggrandizing um, exercise. It's going to be like one of his political rallies. For four days. Now, there's a certain element of political conventions that are that automatically. But I I, I just think it's going to be all Donald Trump all the time. And I could be very wrong. So I'm looking very much forward to watching it. Yeah, I'm curious for the very same reason. I'm looking forward. I'm curious how they play it next week. I'm I'm open to to watching that very much. I want to see if I can learn something. Yeah, and there might be something to learn, Henry. There might be. I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah. And and I, but it's going to be interesting to see if they if they have a lot of participants or if it ends up being, uh, you know, four nights of uh, of the president just saying what he thinks people want to hear. And people kneeling to kiss his ring. Um, <laughs> I I listen to the people who worked with him, the people who are now telling stories out of, out of school, like uh, like our friend who's writing a book, What's His Name, Cohen. I mean, there are a lot of things about working with Donald Trump that obviously has either offended or turned off people who believe in the Constitution and good government, and they're now putting their foot down and saying no more. Yeah, I, I believe that that's, has, that's what has appeared to emerge uh, Bobby. Well, and, I, and, and, and in the spirit of the that, basis of uh, my concern. 
in, in the spirit of that uh, considering all sides of an issue, uh, this week, of course, was the Democratic uh, National Convention, and it was all about beating up on Donald Trump. Next week, I think we'll be beating up on Joe Biden. <laughs> of course we will. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be the case. I have no doubt. That'll be the name of the game. I will say that the, the most inspiring moment of the Democratic Convention that caught my heart and my attention was the children singing the national anthem. I agree. Mm. I agree. Mm-hmm. And the part that caught my our attention was Jill Biden's speech. I yeah, thought she, she was, was incredibly good. She, she did a great job. Night. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, My criticism would be the musical interludes. They weren't all great. No, but John Legend is always good. Yeah. we got to take yeah. a short break, and uh, we'll be back with my favorite part, The X-Files. Hey, <laughs> this is The Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to The Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately and with a regimen of regular 
doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we get into the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. My favorite part, of course, is uh, the X-Files, when we talk about those weird and wacky stories that uh, sometimes pop up. We call them the X-Files. That's a big effing deal. That's a That's big, big effing deal. deal. Well, the Pentagon is forming a new task force to investigate UFOs that have been observed by U.S. military aircraft, according to two defense officials. Deputy uh, Secretary of Defense David Norquist will help oversee the task force, which is expected to be officially unveiled in the next few days, according to the officials. Previous efforts to look into what the Pentagon dubs unidentified aerial phenomena were led by the U.S. Navy as many of the documented encounters involved their aircraft. The Department of Defense did not immediately respond to a request for comment. If the truth is out there, do you think they'll find it? I was just thinking... Uh, No, that's tucked away. (laughs) I was going to say, in 2020, the alien invasion from Mars is about the only thing we haven't had. That would kind of cap off off the year for all the other stuff that's happened this year. Well, maybe we can train the murder hornets to take them out. That's right. <laughs> maybe maybe the craft are, are actually being flown by the murder hornet. Yeah. Um, I, I think they'll find swamp gas or weather balloons. Yeah, um, yeah I think this whole thing, uh, I, as you were telling, and I was thinking about the Space Force, and I thought, you know, this is an example of our government not coordinating 
the different functions from the different agencies to to arrive at a good uh, product or a good conclusion. So they've got all these budget things going on that don't yeah. mesh. And, and you know, you, you touched on something, Bobby. I'm glad you said that because when I first read the story, it, playing in the back of my mind is, this sounds like a job for Space Force. Exactly. <laughs> it exactly. does. I mean, it'd be a good way to really get them involved in space, right? Yeah. Well... Jade Dodd renewed her driver's license online and received it last week, but to her surprise, the photo wasn't a picture of her. It only showed an empty chair. <laughs> the lady at the DMV did not really believe me when I was like, hey, I need my license fixed, Dodd said. Uh, then she looked it up in the system and goes, Oh, I need my manager for this. The chair ended up being the focal point of the license because it was the last photo taken and saved to Dodd's file. The Tennessee uh, Department of Safety and Homeland Security told uh, WKRN-TV. The photo was taken accidentally, the department said. Dodd said she wasn't upset by the mistake. Instead, she said it lightened the mood amidst the coronavirus pandemic and provided her and her co-workers with a few laughs. What piece of furniture would you like on your driver's license photo? <laughs> The floor lamp next to my sofa. That's um, probably good. Yeah. Yeah, I think this just shows that she's secretly a vampire. <laughs> or could be one of those invisible space aliens. You never know. That's right. She came in on a spaceship. <laughs> and she's pretending that she didn't show up in the picture. That's right. I think there's there's some 1950s horror movie with that kind of thing to it, I think. <laughs> the Twilight Zone. Well, here's, here's, here's another one right from the Twilight Zone. A wayward emu was taken to an animal shelter after it was captured while running through the streets of a northern New Jersey city. A woman <laughs> spotted the long-legged bird on Tuesday morning in a residential neighborhood near Patterson's border with Tatua. Animal control officers managed to snare the emu, which is about four feet tall, the emu was placed in a large animal cart and was taken to a shelter where officials arranged for the emu to be examined by a veterinarian. Officials were not sure whether the bird had escaped from a farm or was just running out in the wild. Is it possible the emu was out selling insurance? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I thought he was going to wear, wear a yellow, yellow suit and selling car insurance someplace. <laughs> may, maybe he fell off the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did they name him Wee Moo? And here's, here's one for our times. An Israeli jewelry company is working on what it says will be the world's most expensive coronavirus mask. A gold diamond encrusted face covering with a price tag of $1.5 million. The 18 karat white gold mask will be decorated with 3,600 white and black diamonds and fitted with a top rated N99 filter at the request of the buyer, said designer Isaac Levy. Levy, owner of the Eval Company, said the buyer had two other demands, that it be completed by the end of the year and that it would be the priciest in the world. 
that last condition he said was the easiest to fulfill. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He declined to identify the buyer, but said he was a Chinese businessman living in the United States. What? I was thinking Saudi Arabian prince. It did. It yeah. does have that flair to it. What is the prize for having the most expensive face mask? I don't no know. Idea. Protection yeah. from Ebola. No. <laughs> Kinky sets. I don't know. You can afford the best health insurance. <laughs> yes. Well, all right. I'll wear a face mask, but it's got to be the most expensive one. Right. Oh, I think it's a gift to some girl. You think? Oh, yeah. Well, again, now you've got me picturing uh, Arabian Nights, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you watch The um, the Billionaire, that show with, um, oh, God, about the Wall Street hedge fund manager guy? Um, anyway, he's into S&M, so maybe it's for something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I always, uh, I, I always wonder about that that kind of uh, being ostentatious. Well, it's ostentatious, I guess. If you if but you have nothing that's, else, that's in the life. main goal. Yeah, you want to show off all your money in some way, whether it's a fancy car or a big house or a diamond encrusted mask. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, yeah. Whatever. I remember uh, being on board uh, Elvis's plane at. Uh, Graceland, and and seeing the solid gold bathroom fixtures. Would be. I was like, well, you know, it occurs to me that this guy may have taken that as a business deduction on his taxes. Uh, yeah, maybe as a medical deduction. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. It's a possibility. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been business deduction on taxes. Yeah. Yep, medical medical device. Yep. Medical supplies. Yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you can always use it as collateral when you go to the bank for a loan. That's right. That's right. Well, in that case, I need a two million dollar uh, walking stick or or cane, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got a bad hip, do you? <laughs> Only if I walk fast for too long. Um, <laughs> Anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. I guess we could call it the uh, Democratic National Convention edition. Be sure and tune in next week for the Republican National Convention edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to our roundtable regulars, uh, as always, Paul and Henry. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Good to be here. And, Bobby, it's always a treat when you... uh, join us and bring your expertise and perspective i enjoy it so much and next week i'm going to listen to you guys talk about the republican convention i'll see what you have to say about that (laughs) thank you well well, make sure that you watch it in preparation and please come to learn something not just to make political statements but or judgments but to learn something moving in the right direction well i learn just before i make a political judgment I'm I'm really fortunate to be uh, surrounded by people that uh, that do exactly that, and I appreciate you all. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks you, sir. Good to be here. Have a good week. All right. Bye bye bye. 
That wraps it up for uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. And I want to say thanks again to my guest earlier in the show, Christina Rodriguez from Yale, talking about uh, her book with uh, Adam Cox, The President and Immigration Law. Um, it was pretty interesting. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, check it out on the archives for the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up tomorrow on the show. Uh, Smoking George Winters there tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head down the hall to um, to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow at 9 with another show. Good night, everybody. The Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.